the Forward Together podcast from Hollywood Trust with Paul Gosling and Jared Dean. Welcome to episode 8 of the Forward Together podcast. My name is Jared Dean, joined as always by Paul Gosling. Hi Jared. Okay, so Forward Together, a series of forward-facing and future-looking conversations. It's a project of Hollywell Trust and we're delighted to get funding for that through the Community Relations Council. Paul, you met for this episode with Claire Sugden, Independent Unionist MLA. That's right, she's based in the uh, the Coleraine Dungiven area. Okay, and the main points I think that Claire talks about, she talks about the lack of, the fact that Stormont hasn't sat for two years and that there's a lot of anger there within communities. And I suppose that that reflects the lack of leadership in politics because she's saying that politics should be about bringing people with you and there's not a lot of evidence of that and talks about the missing good politics and good governance. That's right. And of course, Claire has a very interesting perspective. Firstly, she is an independent unionist. And mm-hmm. secondly, she was recognised by the different parties as being you know, the best person available with an independent mindset to be Minister of Justice for Northern Ireland. Yeah. So she comes at it from very strong views in terms of how we heal our society and what that means in terms of the criminal justice system. Mm. And she is, you know, has an independent mind. So although she's a unionist, she's a pragmatic unionist. And uh, representing a, a, a very particular part of the, the the broader conversation, which we don't hear very often, I think. And yes, she is very strongly of the view that we need to strengthen civic society, but also that we need to heal society. We need to get the different parts of society working together and that we need to deal with the past in ways that uh, do not damage, but actually achieve reconciliation. She touches on trauma as well as one of the things that's continuing to have an impact here. That's right. And, and in a sense, you know, that's not surprising from her background that she does say that because, you know, she has recognised as Minister of Justice that you have to deal with the ongoing trauma. Mm. And that's something we heard also from Mike Nesbitt, of course, who was a victims commissioner, that actually, you know, that we need to invest more in counselling services, uh, therapy services to enable people to heal. So we need to heal society and we need to heal individuals. But Claire provides a really interesting insight into her experience as Justice Minister, as well as being an MLA. Okay, well, let's hear that interview now. I'm now with Claire Sugden, MLA, um, taking the conversation forward. Uh, Claire, how do we strengthen civil society in ways that enable us to make progress? I think knowledge, information, is, is a great place to begin. You know, we've had a situation here at Stormont where we haven't had a sitting assembly for two years, and I think the anger amongst the general pub- public is palpable. You know, I, I feel it and see it every day. And I suppose what frustrates me about that is that they assume that MLAs are not doing anything. But, you know, had they know what we do, whether, you know, whether that's conversations outside of the chamber, whether it's progressing policy in a way that we, we can because we're, we're, we're scrutinising and we're holding things to account, I think they may not feel as angry. And it may be a way of helping move the process along. Like, I, I, I'm a great believer that leadership is about bringing people with you. And I don't think politics is doing that right now. So, I, I, and, and how we do it is by informing people and by, I suppose, educating them to what their civic duty is as, as members of the public. But indeed, you know, what the system is that they're voting for or indeed not voting for. And I think that's how we genuinely move politics forward. People talk to me about, you know, it's, it's our deeply divided society. 
yes, I suppose that plays a part, you know, in, in hindering our progress. But I actually think good politics and good governance is is what's missing from from our puzzle. You know, that the past twenty years really were about establishing the institutions, establishing the peace, um, and ensuring that we actually can get to a place where we can work together. I think now is the time where we actually work together and we start delivering for the people in Northern Ireland. And I, and I think when we do that, we, we might start to see that people realise we're all the same, despite our backgrounds. We, you know, we're all aiming for the same thing. I think that's happiness. Uh, you know, there's not one person in Northern Ireland that wouldn't tell me that they just want to be happy and they want the country to move forward. Um, how we get there is, is leadership and actually good governance. But you mentioned the institutions. The institutions aren't working, and one of the institutions that's not met for many years is the Civic Forum. So yeah. the question then is whether we need new institutions that connect politics with civil society. I, I absolutely agree with that, and I, I think the, the work that's being done around uh, a civic forum or a civic assembly, I, I think is really positive. I think people do need to be engaged because too often, I suppose, politicians... Uh, take it for granted that they know what the public mood is. And indeed, if if they're going to go to the polls and the public affirm their opinions on things, then why would they think otherwise? So yes, there, there, there needs to be a mechanism to, to, to suggest what public mood and opinion really is like. A safe space, if you like, for, for politicians to almost engage in a debate where they're maybe tentative or unsure because they actually don't know what the public feel or think. Um, and I do think it's sad that, you know, post-Good Friday Agreement, the Pacific Forum, you know, didn't kind of come to anything. I think it was perhaps more its makeup rather than the intention and the idea around it. It wasn't genuinely civic. It was perhaps people who already had a voice within the political system. And that's what a, any future sort of civic forum or civic platform needs to, 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 to be about. It needs to be about... People on the ground. It needs to be about the people who actually are suffering from the, the fact that we don't have an assembly. It, it's the people who have them, but they're already at the table. We need the people who are not at the table to come forward. Because that criticism has been levelled at the Civic Forum that it was constituting people from trade unions, for example, religious groups that, as you say, had a voice already, and also that maybe some of the community sector is dominated by people that are already active within the political parties. I mean, is, is that broadly what you're saying here? Yes, well? um, the, the people we need to get to are the people who are not engaged. Um, you know, the, the community and voluntary sector is fantastically strong and they have a really good voice and they help inform policy. You know, at this level, I, I meet with them regularly. Um, but it's the people who are not engaged that are the, the critical kind of element in all of this, like you know, even to come back to the kind of constitutional question, it's not the people who are nationalists and it's not the people who, who say they are unionists, it's the people who are not quite sure in the middle that will make the decision you know, of whether we change or we, or we maintain where we are. So how, how structurally do we engage people that are not represented within the party political and the structures community sector then? I think we need to outreach. You know, one of the most successful things that I would say I ever did and is um, what was it allowed me to engage with, with my constituency was actively go out and seek people who wouldn't necessarily come to me and take an interest in, in, in their in their beliefs and you know in their and in their interests and you know see how I could best represent them. And I think that's really important. I think sometimes people think that Sometimes politicians think that people have to come to them if they have a problem and then they'll deal with it on that basis. So they're almost reacting to, to, um, to, to public, I suppose, interests and concerns. Whereas for me, I, I very much want to be a representative. Therefore, I have to be 
I have to be proactive in going to them because I'm not going to assume that they're going to come to me. I, I don't look at it in that way. I very much see them as my boss. Um, you know, I, I see that they drive and lead what I do. And I, and I think on a wider, I suppose, a higher level kind of way, I think that's what government has to do. You know, when I, when I was uh, Minister of Justice, I was really keen to ensure that the communication was a, was a two-way street. You know, I think in our governance, we often think that communication is press releases. It's not. It's stakeholders and it's, it's chatting to people. And to me, that's leadership. You're bringing people along with you by having them in the room, having the conversation. And um, I, I think we need to have more of a focus on that. It can't be just about ticking boxes. You know, public policy has strong consultation um, uh, stages. But is it really, is it, is, is it effective, genuine consultation when they're ticking the boxes of, of the... the of going to the, the same old groups and, and, and the groups who, who are in the room already. Um, and Northern Ireland's not a big place, well, 1.8 million people. Um, we could very easily engage and new technologies and all of those things makes that possible. I, I, we need to start having a civic conversation. I suppose, um, you know, what always frustrates me, and I often go into schools and I'll tell kids like this, there's not one aspect or one subject you could bring up that I couldn't connect back to politics. And on that basis, you need to have an interest because there are people who are making decisions on your behalf. And if you disagree with that, well, that's an issue. So um, I, I think we need to have more of a civic conversation. And maybe it does begin with schools. Maybe it begins with primary schools. You know, we, we learn how to use money. We, we learn how to tell the time. Maybe we have to learn how to, to deal with politics and understand that it's a part of our everyday life. And is that part of the approach of how we move towards a shared and integrated society as well? Yes, because if anything, I think it demonstrates that we have a shared interest. On a, if we look at the day-to-day -day, uh, issues and uh, subjects that we deal with here in the Assembly, it's very rare that the parties will disagree on those issues because most people in Northern Ireland tend to want better health uh, services, they want to tend to have better education, they want better funded education, um, they, you know, they want opportunities and through business, they want employment. And those things do not, uh, don't tend to differ along the various parties and they, they definitely don't differ you know, dependent on what your ideological position is, what your skin colour is, what your sex is, none of those things. And I think when the Assembly was working, I do get disappointed when I hear people saying that it hadn't worked. It worked for 10 years in progress. Yes, we maybe weren't putting through policies that other uh, jurisdictions were, but we're post-conflict and I think we should always be viewed in that way. I think beyond the 20 years, if we were still moving forward in, in a limited way, then yes, we, we, would, we, we would have to look at it because it wasn't working. But I think it's unfair to say that Northern Ireland Assembly wasn't working because we're, we're still very unique and we're, it's, it's still a very fractured society and I don't think we ever did properly reconcile in the way that we should. I think what often happens with um, peace processes is you know we get the peace and then they think that's it, we're fixed and then they move on to the next, um, the next conflict area when really the most critical part is the post-conflict era because that's ensuring that we actually don't go back to where we were and that's the hard part, that's, that's the... We'll move on to reconciliation issues in a moment. Just to touch on one point, though, you say that there's common uh, objectives. I can see that in terms of social and economic outcomes, mm. but to what extent is there a commonality across the party politics towards genuine sharing and integration within society? I, I think there is. There, there, 
you know, my experience with the political parties, and I certainly don't speak for any of them, is that they do want to represent the best interests of all the people of Northern Ireland. Like every MLA will tell you that it's not just unionists who come into their office or, or nationalists or, or neither, um, but it's people from all backgrounds because on a day-to-day, -day, it's actually our job to represent and advocate on their best interests on behalf. And um, I suppose where we seem to get stuck is on party policy. You know, you can go into any political party and I, I would expect they wouldn't tell you, you know, uh, being recorded that their beliefs differ from their party line. Um, but they do. And I, I think I think it's politics. I think I do think our difficulty is party politics. And sometimes politicians in Northern Ireland put themselves on, on various hooks and it's difficult to come back from that. You know, maybe if politicians learn to say, I made a mistake you know, put their hands up, said they're sorry, maybe we wouldn't find ourselves in the situation we're in. Um, you know, any rational person could see that the past two years has been unnecessary. I think it is damaging to everybody, you know, whether it's um, individual MLAs or indeed the parties. Whether that will make any difference moving forward, I'm not sure. But I, I think sometimes we just need to get back to reality and realising that actually the job here is to represent the people of Northern Ireland and try and fight for their best interests. And yes, we all have our own ideological beliefs and we all have a way that we would hope to do something. We all have our own utopias. But is that really what's right? Is that really what our job is? You know, it, it is, is, I, I would like to think I'm a very realistic and practical politician and I very much see my job is about improving public services for the people of Northern Ireland. And I think sometimes the, the higher level stuff gets in the way when really it doesn't affect people on a day to day. Now I interrupted you talking about reconciliation because actually the past is one of the things that's getting in the way of us dealing with the present and the future. Mm. You're saying that reconciliation is, should be a central part of that perhaps? Absolutely. How, how can we even have a conversation towards uniting an island when we can't unite ourselves within one part of that island? And I. Ireland's history, whether it's Northern Ireland's history or, or that the island and its relationship with the United Kingdom, is is long and it's deep and it comes from so many different elements. And I I, I think w w what has always been missing in that piece is that history has happened, but then the bit around people and actually looking at their needs hasn't. And I I think reconciliation is really key. I, I really do, um, and I do. I, I get disappointed when I hear people, you know, not almost even bypassing that, or, or maybe just not even considering it, um, in, in talking about any new constitutional arrangements, um, because I think it's really, um, I think it's irresponsible. Because what is an island or a jurisdiction if not for the people? And if we can't, if we can't unite them, then what's the point of uniting anything? And. Um, it just it saddens me where we could go if we don't actually put people at the heart of this. Politics is about people. Is that is there, does it not come from the Greek word poly or something meaning many people? You know and. So beyond that, how do we deal with the legacy? I mean, it's it's more than reconciliation, isn't it? Because people have got unhappiness about what's happened in the past, and simply reconciling different communities won't deal with their unhappiness about past events. 
Yeah, well, well, for me, reconciling is about acknowledging people, all people, all sides, all opinions, not necessarily agreeing, because that would make us all very boring if we, we all agreed. Um, but I, I think it is about understanding why it is important that we address legacy issues. It's, it's about understanding that actually a mother who lost her son wants to know why and knows that the government has a responsibility in some way giving her that answer. Um, they may not be able to give her that answer, but even trying, I think, is, is really key and, and important to all of this. This was one thing that really struck me in, in my work as Minister of Justice when I was meet, meeting a lot of victims and their families, was that the trauma from what had happened, and trauma is such a big part of conflict, and I think it's appalling that as a post-conflict society we have never even considered how we deal with our trauma and still aren't 20 years later. Um, but that trauma seems to get passed from generation to generation. And if we're genuinely going to reconcile, we have to kind of break that trauma at some point. And, you know, I, I met grandmothers, sadly, who, um, who then have passed away, but it's their grandson who's sitting in the room talking to me about the, the injustices of, of you know, their, their relative being, being taken during the troubles and the fact that they haven't got answers and that the, the government hasn't upheld their responsibility around that. So I don't think it's enough to say, well, you know, time will be a healer here because I think trauma, particularly in a post-conflict situation, is going to get passed from generation to generation to generation. And if we don't address it, then, you know, we will be still facing the same issues in 50 years' time, let alone 20 years post-Good Friday Agreement. And of course, one of the things is that the current generation of politicians themselves are feeling the trauma of past events. And I wonder if that has been fully recognised. Um, perhaps it hasn't been fully recognised, but I, I, I do take that point. I think there are current politicians who are suffering from their own traumas of the past. I think trauma is an inevitable part of life, whether it's in Northern Ireland because of post-conflict or whether it's because someone close to you passed away when you were 16. But it's how we deal with that and it's how we move forward. And I don't think we've, we've ever been given the tools or, or even the, the knowledge or the sense to be able to do that. And sometimes I wonder, is it because Northern Ireland was, was conflict within a Western democracy? And it's almost assumed that we know how because we, you know, we're on the periphery of, of one of the biggest economies in the world and we, we know we should be able to deal with these things. Um, but it just I, I really feel that if we could deal with our trauma in Northern Ireland, it might help people heal and move on. And if anything, there's a shared kind of emotion there. That, um, that that would, would unite us more than we're raising a border would. And you said to me in past interviews that, as I understand it correctly, that there's a need to recognise that people from different communities, different backgrounds, each have their own story. And it's a matter of understanding where they've come from rather than making judgments necessarily mm -hmm. on where they've come from. Absolutely. I think the greatest skill that any politician um, can have is empathy. Um, you don't have to agree, and I think sometimes we, we misunderstand empathy with um, with agreement, if you like. Um, but I think it is important to know where people come from. I think, you know, sociologically, we, we are all products of our environments and our upbringings. I don't think anyone is born bad. I think it's the, the journey and the path that they have been, you know, that they have gone through their lives. And I think it is really important that um, we do look back Again, you know that you know we, we It's not even with the with the purpose of justifying maybe some of the actions or, or some of the things that happened in Northern Ireland, but I think it does get us to a place where 
we're desensitising our past a little bit and I think to move forward that is, is key because you know this past two years has just inflamed an anger and you know the people that who perhaps have every right to be angry because of what happened to them or their families during our conflict were beginning to move forward because they didn't want their future generations and their children, their grandchildren to feel the same way as they do. But it almost feels like we're taking the peace process in vain because we haven't had an executive for two years, we haven't had an assembly for two years. So the hard fought peace and the pain and the hurt, and it, it, it endures in many, has almost been brought to the surface again because, you know, what was it all for? What was the Good Friday Agreement for? What was the hard uh, decisions that were taken at that time for? Um, you know, and, and many people, you know, I suppose even from my own perspective, and I, I wasn't the age to be able to agree to it, um, I, my, but my parents did, there was things, of, you know, within the Good Friday Agreement that I wouldn't have been comfortable with. But it was almost the... It was almost what we had to do to secure peace and to secure governance and secure uh, a future for Northern Ireland. And this past two years, if anything, has said, well, what was it all for? I suppose we, we made sacrifices um, whenever we signed the Good Friday Agreement with the hope that it would bring prosperity and peace. And now, 20 years later, it hasn't. Oh, well, it's at least brought peace, but it, it, we it, could go it's, back. It's brought the absence of war without the Yes, benefits. absolutely, yeah. Yes, I would agree so. with that, yeah. And, and so what does that mean in terms of where we go to from here, achieving a, an ongoing settlement of the constitutional question? I, I, I like to think of myself as, as, a, as an honest person. Um, and I think that's what we need to be. We need to be honest with ourselves. We need to be honest with each other. Um, we need to respect one another. Again, um, I think it's really difficult that... Um, it goes against human nature that, that we, we have to accept that everybody believes what we believe. Um, you know, I, I again, I, I think it would be a very boring world if we all believe the same thing. Um, and I don't ever assume or have the arrogance to assume that my opinion's right, it's what I believe, but it doesn't mean, you know, I'm, I'm one person of however many billion on this world. It, um, of course, we're going to be different, we're going to have different opinions and ideas. And I think we need to embrace, embrace that in one another and we need to go forward in debating if that's what's appropriate um, about how we can get to a, a shared space. Um, it's difficult. It is difficult. So what does that mean in practical terms about how we have the constitutional conversation? Um, I think that was an awful lot of babbling words to say respect for one another. <laughs> <laughs> to, 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 be, you know, to be quite honest, I think we... There, there's an obvious divide in Northern Ireland. Um, you know, we can't, we can't get away from that. Therefore, does there not come a point that we have to accept the divide, if you like, to actually move forward to unite? But if we have politicians from different backgrounds that actually do not respect each other, how do we... We can't just enforce respect on people. No, we can't. But then, I suppose as a civic society, we, we stop voting for them. You know, I... I um, I'm a voter as much as I am a politician and when I look at my ballot paper I look at those who are actually genuinely wanting to help people. And does it mean that perhaps because of the what appears to be sometimes a lack of mutual respect by at senior levels within party politics that actually much of that debate needs to be led by civic society? It does but then I think there needs to be a, 
there needs to be a drive from the higher level politicians that it's not about them. It's not about their individual personalities. You know, I the most important descriptor of myself as a politician is representative. And um, I think sometimes we have to take our own prejudices, you know, outside of what this role is. And we have to be leaders and we have to bring people along with us. And, you know, I, I have so many respectful conversations with people who disagree with me all the time. But it's, it's not about the disagreeing, it's actually about having the conversation. And um, I, I really enjoy engaging, and people say, oh, you know, well, Claire, I don't mean to have a go at you and all this here. And I'm like, you're not having a go at me, we're just having a conversation. Maybe, maybe we don't know how to debate. <laughs> maybe we don't know how to have those conversations. And maybe that is how we move forward. That, you know, when, when I have a debate in the chamber, whenever it was up and running, I make a point of um, speaking to that politician after that debate to actually let them know that what's said inside that chamber stays inside that chamber. And in terms of building relationships, you know, this is our jobs and this is what we have to do. But um, we, we need to maintain those relationships because that's important. And, and I think the big problem with where we're at now, particularly with two years after the assembly, is more to do with relationships than it is issues. So the three words from what you've said to me today, <laughs> I think, are respect, relationships and the need for proper leadership. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> Claire Sutton, thank you very much thank indeed. You. Okay, Paul. What I find really interesting, or one of the things that was really interesting that Claire was talking about, was the need for to build that empathy from within politicians. Yeah, uh, I've interviewed Claire now several times, and it's a point that she makes repeatedly that really politicians should not just see things from their own point of view, from the background that they have been brought up in. We need to place ourselves in other people's shoes mm. to think how they see things, to recognise without uh, necessarily agreeing with people about why they did things. We need to understand why they did things because unless we have an understanding about what drove people to do things that we may continue to condemn the things they did, but we need to understand why they did them. Mm. Otherwise, we can't make progress. And that, I think, is what she means and what you're talking about in terms of empathy is actually trying to understand why the terrible things that went wrong in our society went wrong. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important as well that we point out that the interview with Claire took place uh, before the death of Lyra McKee as well. It would have been an obvious thing for Claire to talk about, particularly in that. But I find it really interesting that the three key words that she ended the, the conversation on. That's right. Respect, relationships and leadership. And actually, those are the three things which we need, but which I'm afraid we don't have sufficient of. Well, that'll do us for the eighth forward together podcast thanks again to claire and uh, keep an eye out for future podcasts through the hollywell trust website slugger tool and wherever you get your podcasts talk to you again soon the community relations council for northern ireland supports this podcast through its media grant scheme and core funding program